third and nine. Mills, under pressure, got rid of it. The pass is complete to the five. Touchdown, Chris Moore. Mills, looking, throwing, touchdown to Philip Dorsett. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Another game down, another very similar result. Um, but I've got Mr. John Crumpler here um, to talk you through it. And uh, how are you doing, John? Right? Yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. I'm doing well. Uh, another week of Texans football, and we may not be winning games, but I think we're seeing things that we want to see. This is starting to look like the team we expected to see, more so than what we saw the first five weeks. Um, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about it. No, it's good. How was, how was the? I saw you were at the Carolina game. How was it? Yeah, my uh, my girlfriend, she lives in Charlotte, so I went up to visit her before things get a little more busy here at the hospital. And yeah, we went to see Tom Brady play his last game in Charlotte, and it was kind of awesome. Uh, place was a little low energy, as you might imagine. I think Houston fans know the same for when people don't expect the team to do super well, uh, hard, hard to get folks to show up, but Carolina kind of blew out Tampa Bay. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I was there in 2015. Um, I suppose that you can see why they want to build a new stadium, I think, but, um, but yeah, it's a good, uh, <laughs> Charlotte's a good place and, uh, yeah, bit of a shock result and it helped the draft slate as well. I think it was a good weekend for that when you consider the Browns lost, uh, Washington, um, beating, the Packers, which I don't think anybody saw coming, and you would have earned a good mm-hmm. bit of money if you'd have predicted that. So, yeah, overall, I think in the grander scale over the weekend, it was a good result, um, or the results went our way. Exactly. I mean, someone tweeted at me this week. They said, who cares about moral victories? And I almost wanted to respond, I'll take the moral victories over the actual wins this year because I'd rather see the guys develop and take the losses than – learn nothing and take the wins and a lot of things did kind of go Houston's way on that front. And there was five lead changes in the game in Vegas on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The fifth remained and the Raiders put up 21 points in the fourth quarter and they kind of run away with it at the end. Another fourth quarter collapsed but how close do you think the Texans were to winning this one John? I don't think they were all that close. It looked, it looked good. I think the offense scored the amount of points that we needed to but I think once again, we saw, for whatever reason it might be, um, it's hard for this Houston team to close out games. Maybe it's like, I always joke about how hard it is to beat Alabama and Georgia in college football, because by the time you get to the fourth quarter, that talent differential in the trenches start to show. I think you can see a little bit um, of that kind of game atrophy as it goes on with Houston. But ultimately, I think they played the Raiders so much better than their record um, would suggest. Um, obviously, LA is a team. We were talking about. I mean, Vegas is a team coming into the year. We we're talking about a playoff squad, and I thought Houston looked about what we would expect um, playing against a playoff caliber, talented Vegas team. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it was. I didn't ever really feel like we were going to get a result. I think it, it was. It was the way in which they had that drive, um, bulldozed down the field. Um, they got the they got the touchdown to their set, which I didn't expect at that point. 
Um, but it was just the way in which they got the ball twice again and kept going. And it was, and then there was a number of things that came up. We'll come on to that. But in terms of the, I was going to ask you, do you think in terms of the offensive performance, because that was the real difference between previous weeks, defence has kind of been up and down. But the, the offensive pers- performance, was that true progression from Mills and the scheme and Pep, or was that just the benefit of an extra week um, preparation due to the bye? I mean, I think it's probably both things, but I'm more so tempted to say that's legitimate improvement from Davis Mills and how Pep Hamilton called the game. I think when we see people, how they prep in the bye, that kind of comes out of how the first few drives were scripted. You know, what did they take all this time to prepare and bring out that they're trying to exploit immediately? We kind of saw Mills steady throughout the game, give us one of the best performances of his career. Um, I tweeted, he looked sharp. He looked comfortable in the pocket. We watched him move through his progressions. And especially when attacking down the field, Mills threw some of his best balls that he has all season and hit guys when he needed to. So to me, that looked like legitimate improvement from the offense and from Mills, just in terms of looking comfortable. Uh, The points will come, and obviously the Raiders are a tough team to outscore when you've got Carr, Devontae Adams, and Josh Jacobs on the other sideline. But I thought, was really impressed with Davis ultimately. What was, I think you have to call it his best game of the year so far. Do you put it more on the bye week or more with Davis? Well, I think you got the Raiders on a bye week as well. So you got to you take that into consideration. So they had plenty of time to prep. Um, and it was good. I think, like, you know, I mean, I've been probably one of the most kind of vocal. If, um, I'm not going to call him a non-believer as it kind of gets split into, but yeah, I think it was good. I mean, there was a couple of plays where he stepped up in the pocket and or he or he, he moved the play broke down. He got one to Dorset. He had a throw and the cross out of Brandon Cooks. Uh, that one to Dorset was great. So yeah, I think there was some really good footwork and really good movement at times. Um, but again, when the lights shine the brightest, there was an interception. I don't put that on him. Uh, holy um, there was a couple of kind of funny play calls in there there was a couple of kind of moments where I just didn't think you know that they're necessarily tuned in and clued up together about this offense it's still coming together and as you can see it's a second year quarterback but I think if you if you took that game in a vacuum of all the other ones you would think you know there's something here to explore I think yeah I, I kind of wanted to ask so when I watched that last play at first you know I didn't really put anything on Davis and I know you're the film guy, so I want to ask you this question. But then I've gone back, and I haven't gotten to see the All-22, but I watched the play a few times, and it really looks like he just missed the safety in too high once uh, Breven Jordan cuts back in towards the midfield. Did you put more blame on Mills or more blame on the fact that it's situational football and Davis knows that, hey, we have to score a touchdown, and my defense is probably going to let up another score anyways if, if uh, Vegas gets the ball back? Yeah, I mean, from a pure decision-making point of view, to hit the middle of the field, you're taking time off the clock. So it should have been Dorset or Cooks either side who are kind of running comeback curls, whatever you want to call them. Um, so, you know, they've got the best chance of getting out of bounds and stopping the clock. So I think, yeah, it was a pure decision from that point of view of, of going to the centre of the field. He'd already done it a couple of times. He'd already taken a sort of cheap run as well. And the clock was running down when you needed to get two scores at that point. So I've not seen the 22 yet. That comes out here tomorrow, I think, in terms of... The, um, 
my availability of it. But yeah, I think it was just it just seemed like a it seemed like a bad decision at a bad time. Um, but I think in the grand scale of things, it was really the defense getting steamrolled. I think was the was was a one part of it. Um, but the two flags consecutive to fourth downs that was the killer in terms of momentum in terms of this team getting back in. You know, gutsy play call or or game decision from Lovey, which we've not always seen. Kenyon. Steps offside and done so as well, to be fair. Or sorry, false started. And then fourth and one, Raiders going the other way. Uh, Lopez steps offside. I mean, it feels like a recurring theme. Just whenever this offense is ready to play a great game, whenever there are great sequences, when it's not Mills, it's something else. Um, and it is a, a frustrating season in that aspect that there's always something that prevents them from just stringing it all together. And that was the worst bit about, I think, the they only had three penalties in the whole day. The other one was uh, Thomas Booker um, for stepping offside. And apart from that, they didn't have a flag on the entire game the whole day, apart from those three. It just cost you a big, big time. And both players, first and second year players, relatively inexperienced. Um, and that's, that's the price you pay for development. Um, so you will lose moments and lose games like that. Um, why does this team fade so badly in the fourth quarter? Why do you think that is? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Do we think it's a talent thing? Um, and then, like I said, kind of an uh, attrition as you have to keep going against guys that are better than you. The more minutes that accrue, the better team's able to pull away. Um, I've talked to people who think it might be a preparation thing um, in terms of um, how they're conditioned to play and how they're taught to play, that by the time this team gets to the fourth quarter, they're gassed. Um, and it could just be some bad luck. Ewan, what would you put it towards? Because I, I don't think you can point to one thing. I think when something is this consistent in a league that begs for parity and inconsistency, you have multiple reasons for why this keeps happening to you. Like this is part yeah. of your DNA at multiple levels. So it's hard for me to say one thing. Do you think there would be one thing in particular that's kind of keeping the Texans from closing out wins? I think it's a lack of talent. I think I always think first quarter you're setting the table, second quarter adjustments, half time you get that corrected, third quarter's about getting the game, fourth quarter that's the money time, that's where you win. And I think part of that is is to do with talent, part of that's to do with you know, certainly got the tail kicked up front of both sides of the ball yesterday at times. I don't think you could doubt that. So yeah, I think there's a there's an element of the offense not staying on the field enough at the right time. Um, you know, three and outs, stalled drives kicking field goals too early. Um, you know, and they had they had a, their fair share almost even clock split in terms of time and possession yesterday. But I think just in the way in which the Raiders built that possession in the second half, gas defence, offence didn't hold up its end of the bargain, didn't put a point up again in the fourth quarter, not for the first time this season. So when you add all those together, I think it's a poor mix of of, you know, averageness against, you know, at times quality players. And I think that it, it kind of culminates in the fourth quarter. And I saw a stat today that, oh, sorry. There you go. Oh, I, I was just going to comment. You talked about the time of possession being the same, but it didn't feel that way. Watching the game of how Oakland, I mean, of how, gosh, I keep saying Oakland, of how Vegas was able to run the ball. I heard a stat today. I was in a podcast. About 10 of Josh Jacobs' 20 runs went for first downs. And it's like, okay, if, if they'd had just – slightly less success running the ball where they have to run it twice instead of one time to go get that first down. We're talking about a game where Vegas probably milks clock and keeps the defense out there, but they were just, I mean, there's no way to put it other than our offensive line 
um, really bullied Houston's defensive line for 30 minutes on Sunday. Yeah, and I think there was injuries to that. Um, Malik Collins went out. Kenyon Green went down towards the end. Nico Collins went out as well. Um, of, of those three injuries, what do you think the potential biggest concern is? I know we've not seen, you know, I know Lovey kind of deferred to the Wednesday injury report um, and his media availability today, but in terms of though, obviously Malik Collins missed the most snaps, so he's probably going to have the biggest impact in the game, but what do you think is the biggest concern or, or, or what are your general concerns about those three guys picking up knocks? I mean, this is already one of the league's worst offences, so when you talk about moving a guy, taking a guy out like Kenyon Green, who we're not a very good run blocking offense right now. I think Damian Pierce is covering up for a multitude of sins. How much more can you ask Pierce to do? And then Nico Collins, um, you know, one of the, the sneaky storylines of the season is his emergence as the wide receiver who looks to be open the most often for Houston. So uh, in games coming up where you're going to have to score points, I mean, I don't think they're beating Philadelphia no matter what, but I just wonder, hey, this offense was already talent deficient. If you take away two more pieces, like how are, how are they going to score points? And as we all saw Malik Collins out, this team can't stop the run to begin with. And you remove him and I wonder how bad is Philadelphia going to hurt us on Thursday night? Yeah, well, that's how I think you kind of touched on there. The biggest problem this team's got and it continues to have and it's, it's every week and it's it's uh it's a scar that can't be hidden, I think, in terms of they can't stop the run. And they don't look like they've got any answers to stop the run, whether that be talent, whether that be scheme, whether that be, you know, a willingness to change in which the way that they call the defense. And I don't think they will. And I think, you know, I tweeted out this morning and I, and then I went and looked up the the guys from the athletic. Um I think it's Nate Tice, is it? Um and um he was talking about in terms of just how simple the front is, and they don't change it. Um, and it's so true. You see every week on the film, they get up to the line of scrimmage. Don't change, you know, post pre-snap recognition. Um, there's limited flexibility in it. I think they've been better with the coverage. I know last year they were chronically bad in, you know, just setting the coverage and basically setting out the cones to um, to go and try and ask teams to defend against them. But yeah, I think oh. in terms of up, yeah, up front, they just can't. They just, and I think there was, there was that play um, that I tweeted out that you had Okrawanko and Booker um, on the weak side, the guard and the tight end pull, clean both out. Double Booker holds up the double team, but the big issue is that the, the three linebackers Petrie was was on the was on the was on the strong side on that play, um, and then Harris and Kirksey not played together much. Strange kind of utilization of the of the personnel at linebacker this week, but. Both kind of get clogged up. Don't kind of read the play well enough. Don't see where the holes come, and uh, and basically you've kind of got one hole um, that, that neither player kind of fills, and it's just an easy, easy gain. And it was like that mm -hmm. all day. And I think it's just a, it's a, it's a slow, slow death. I think for a for a, a team if you can't stop the run, and I just don't see how they're going to fix it. Yeah, I mean Lovey's scheme right now it's very simple, and I think what Lovey likes to do if being so kind of married to this base cover too, is that he wants his guys to know their assignments and to go play fast. Not a lot of thinking. And the problem when you don't have a lot of talent, um, you're right, there's this scar. They cannot stop the run and they're not really changing up how they want to play the game to do that. Um, I think I, I put out that same audio clip from Nate Tice talking about how Houston sets their front and they don't worry about it anymore. 
And I thought that was just so great because that's what they want to do, but they don't have the kind of personnel to do that right now. And that's not something you can change this season. I, I tweeted during the game, I think Houston in a perfect world, I mean, maybe you bring back Grenard as a good number two edge rusher and Christian Harris plays weak side linebacker, but otherwise you might, I mean, you'd like an entirely new front seven going into next year. The current pieces are rotational players, almost all of them. Would you disagree with that? I mean, yeah, I don't, some of them I don't think are even rotational. I think the 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 <laughs> the play I, I tweeted out was the later on in the game, and they've got I think it was a two linebacker set, but Kirksey was it was it was the play before the first Josh Jacobs um, touchdown. It was just an easy, simple pitch and catch, good step up in the pocket by Derek Carr, throws it in the tight end. I think it was Foster Moreau, um, and effectively. I don't know why, but this, you would think if you're if you're going to play, and he played 100 percent of the snaps this week, and I, and I I don't always like to go after the same guys, but when you're when you're forced to watch them in a way that is not gonna it's not conducive to your team winning, it's kind of hard not to get irritated by it. But when you when you watch Kirksey, he doesn't cover the tight end, he passes them on, the safety doesn't recognize it, not for the first time, you know, safety issues all day, um, and that was always going to happen, I think, in terms of the experience. But he doesn't pass them on, and then you've got. Christian Harris in the middle as the as as the the middle linebacker in that sense, if you like, um, not really covering too much. And you think if you're going to have both of them on the field, you would think Christian Harris would be the more athletic of the two would cover the tight end. So I think even when we we you know nobody expected him to get. I think it was sixty eight percent of the snaps. Christian Harris he came in. You know it was mixed. It was always going to be tough. Missed a lot of time. Hamstring injury. Missed camp. Um, so t- I think the way he play, you know, to to do as well as he did was very admirable. It's going to take time, and I think they'll just continue to play him and see much much as he gets. And I wish they would do that for other guys. Um, yeah, but they just can't. You, but you just can't hide a guy like Christian Kirksey in this modern you know passing game era, who just hasn't got the lateral um, and agility to to the movement skills to cover tight ends um, or wide receivers or whatever it might be. And, you know, and they went with Devante Adams, they purposely um, put him in against our linebackers for easy pitch and catches, you know, to get them involved and, and get the chains moving. You saw that a number of times. Um, so, yeah, you can't hide these players, but, yeah, I think you could still have a better choice of personnel at times um, rather than just kind of random rotations is kind of what they've kind of settled on the last couple of weeks. I think it's frustrating because Christian Kirksey looks like, I mean, just based on his usage and how steady that is in contrast with how he's actually playing. I think Kirksey is the only guy who knows and is ready to handle all the responsibilities that Lovey Smith wants to put on that middle linebacker in his defense. And this team made a very intentional decision not to bring in anyone else that could have been preparing for that role. So you bring, you get a guy like Christian Harris back. But when they're playing defense like that, it's maybe not his job to cover the tight end there, or he's not ready yet because they weren't really ushering him in for that. So it's even more difficult when you know that some of these wounds are self-inflicted at how they structured the personnel and how they wanted to stack things up. But I think we all kind of knew coming in 2022, I came and talked to season preview with you that this team did um, intentionally have some holes for better or for worse going into the year. And this one is just manifested in a far worse way than we could have really imagined. Well, maybe yeah, we could have, but yeah, no, I think and the, yeah, and I look the linebackers um, is is poor, and there's there's no doubt about it. But I, I think, like you said there, I think there's there's an issue where all the defensive tackles and all of the edge, and I think edge is actually probably the under discussed position because 
I don't know what's happened to Jerry Hughes in the last couple of weeks, but he just keeps gunning it upfield and getting past the play and leaving his gap wide open. Uh, Mario Addison looks like a guy who's missed lots of time, who's in his mid thirties. Um, Rashad Green two TFLs sack, but then you know as the game faded, as as the game went on, he faded a bit as well. Um, you got Grenard out on the IR, and I think it's just when you've got Tennessee and then Philadelphia on Thursday night football, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to see any way of those two. And I saw Derek Hendry got like forty carries or something yesterday, and if they just go after that, regardless of how many drives they have, regardless of how long we hold on the ball against those two teams, that is a weakness that I just, it's hard to see that not being exposed to another two defeats. I mean, those aren't games I would have been picking us to win anyways, but I do think that these storylines in that steady drumbeat of Houston lost the ball because they can't stop the run, that's definitely not going anywhere. And could it, do we really think it can look much worse than it did on Sunday? I mean, is that a bright side that I can even remotely say? I mean, Josh no, Jacobs I think it can. about his... <laughs> I think it can. Yeah, I think it can get worse. Yeah, I mean, I think it was an it was a decent performance, and you held with teams for you know largely three quarters. Um, Would it I just get it worse can... if, if if they leaned further into the run? I mean, I guess you could have given Jacobs thirty carries instead of twenty, but I mean, he was about flawless. So I'm, I'm just at a loss for, okay, we're really bad at this. I think we're going to lose games because of it. But Yeah, it's funny how these guys pick up their game in a contract year. It's, uh, it's, all, it's got an uncanny ability to happen quite regularly. Yeah. But, um, but he's sure always a good player. Yeah. I'm sure it's something a lot of us can relate to. You know, oh, yeah. you, yeah. you got to turn on the Jets when it's time. When, uh, when payday's around the corner, you know when it's time to work. In a couple of just surprises or, or, or points or, or matchups we want to go over, I think, um, and it was garbage time, but uh, Darion Gobowali getting carries, catches, actually leading the team in catches by the end of it. Um, they just kept feeding them it and dumping it off towards the end um, on that last couple of drives. I think they got the ball twice, turned it over on downs um, the final time and the other time, or the other drive after the interception, rather, but probably kind of and there's not been too many of these, but it, it seems to be a recurring theme with this club, regardless of the coaching staff, of players getting roles like Kirks is the same. I think Burkhead, you know, has been talked about to death. But I think Dari getting the getting the ball, duking past linebacker, you know, making yards, um, got a decent long gain um, towards the end there, showed that he probably should be getting at least a few carries just to dispel Damien. Yeah, I mean... I kind of chuckled today. Lovey comes out and he compliments um, Obongawale and says, you know, he did great with the opportunity we gave him yesterday. And I'm thinking the only people stopping him from having that opportunity is, is you guys. We could have seen this in week two. We could have seen it in week three. I think we all know that our frustration with Rex isn't that he failed. Well, I guess he does fail to do some things. But really, Rex is frustrating because he can only get exactly what's blocked, exactly what's schemed for him. And you've known that about and Dare comes out and on his first series. It's like, hey, we haven't really had a running back in the passing game that's doing that, other than Pierce is obviously incredible. It's space, very difficult to tackle. So I'm just relieved a little bit that um, he makes it out there finally. And maybe this is a moment that the coaching staff can say, hey, this doesn't upset the hierarchy of the team because he showed it. Um, but I'm kind of fingers crossed this is a turning point for the Burkhead era. It wasn't really an experiment. It was like part of their philosophy. 
but the the Rex Burkhead Houston era that kind of felt like a a potential turning point. Yeah, and you you know, and you can still have a role for Rex. I think it's just getting mm-hmm. a bit. You know, most teams have three, if not four, guys who they're willing to give the ball to um, on a Sunday, and I think that that sort of lack of um, options and, and and dynamic kind of decision making, I think, is is a big issue, and it continues to be at this position for what you know for whatever reason they locked into Damian Pierce. You know, they could have it could have easily not worked out as well as it's done, but you can't run the guy into the ground and. And potentially, you know, fade that talent or hurt, you know, put uh, miles on on the tires and and uh, and get them potentially, you know, risk of injury heightening because you can't make decisions about other guys filling in for them and, and, and relieving them. And particularly, it was good to see that in a game you weren't just running them uh, late on a game that it was clearly gone by that point. So, you know, hopefully, it's been a slice of good fortune and, and it'll it'll be good fortune only. That uh, helps him at the tailback position. But what did you think? We didn't see it too much. But what did you think of Derek Stingley this week? He didn't get he didn't get enough probably against Adams. There wasn't any kind of signature plays, but um, he, he's starting to look more confident. I think week by week, and it's obviously not a bruise on his arm. You wouldn't be wearing a a, 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 a an arm brace for a, a bruise, but I think it's uh, he's starting to you start to see a little bit of progress. I think just in terms of his assuredness and in looking like an NFL corner. Yeah, I think Stingley, this isn't a game that moved the needle, but we continue to see the things that we want to see. Um, he looks comfortable operating as Houston's number one corner. When he's challenged, he has plays every single game where he comes up. Um, they didn't really challenge him this this game. Like you pointed out, they kind of had a field day, field day going after Christian Harris. But I'm, I'm really comfortable with what I'm seeing from Stingley, and I think week to week, I just want to – Honestly, when I'm watching Stingley, I'm thinking more about the coaching staff at this point. So I think one of the biggest differences when we talk about Stingley right now versus when in the national conversation we're talking about Sauce Gardner a lot is how much the Jets really empower him to go play man and cover three and put him in responsibilities that specifically play to his talent sets. And I'd like to see more of our defense modeling around and putting Stingley in those same situations to just, hey, go do what you're really good at. And I don't know if you would feel the same way, but for me, I'm more so watching a week to week than I think the performance has been what we expect, but I want to see where they use him. Yeah, I think he's had some tough outings. That was potentially going to be his toughest, but you you didn't see that. And the fact they moved it away, I think, from uh, moved uh, Devante Adams away from Sting, I think that's probably a bit of a you know, a little bit of respect, um, a little bit of schematic advantage. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's it's there's there's an element I I reckon of the coaching staff. They say they want to see him in zone because they want to develop that side of his game, and make him more rounded corner. Uh, but in two years' time, you may not need that. So who knows? But I, I think you're starting to see the progress there. Another guy who is you know in a contract year effectively, fifth year option, Titus Howard. The team have picked up so circa thirteen million dollars next year. You've probably got to extend him. You don't really want you know a guy if he's got you know if you see a future with him. There, um, he's he's been up against some of the best in the last couple of weeks. What? How did you see him faring against? Well, Titus played a fine game, and I would I think. He's definitely improved from what was a really slow start to the season, um, no doubt. And at this point, Titus does look like someone that I would like to see Houston bring back. I didn't have any significant takeaways. I'll be honest, when I was watching offense, I was kind of all eyes on on Mills and seeing where he would find his guys. So that's generally my writing responsibilities with the game. But Titus, really, with this offensive line at this point, and tell me if this is unfair, a lot of what I'm seeing is, okay, who – who doesn't get embarrassed, who's not the problem. And this wasn't a week where I looked at Titus Howard and said, you're part of the problem for why the offense isn't functioning. 
Yeah, I think it seems to happen every week and there's at some point there's one of the five make a mistake and it tends to happen at quite key moments um, and it happened again Titus, there was a stunt he didn't quite handle um, got a pressure into Mills um, I think that was a QB hit there was a couple of times where he kind of matched Crosby almost kind of, sort of, kind of one of those kind of jumper moves past him uh, but overall I think it was a reasonable out and I think he's showing a, a, a solid NFL player and if he could continue that throughout the season then mm-hmm. he is an extension candidate but I think it, at the, you've obviously got the tonsil element of what the hell that's going to cost you and I suppose he's playing at a level it wasn't his best game again I wouldn't have said against Chandler Jones but I think you've got that element and then you've also got the element of what's he looking for and what they're both are looking for and if they're both looking for you know one set in the market one set in the lower end of the you know, the top 15 money, you probably can't pay both. And I think there's going to be a really difficult decision. If I was to gauge it, I would suggest Casario won't pay both because he's always talking about being fiscally responsible. You've only got 49 players, you've got less than 40 players under under contract for next year. Um, You've not got a huge amount of salary cap. You're going to have a hard time stretching that money out just to fill the 90 man. So, um, and then by the time it gets down to the 53, what you're left with, probably not a huge amount. So, yeah, it's a yeah. watching brief, I think, of both of those guys, and I don't think any decisions will be made, but certainly I think Titus has looked solid, uh, but does that command, you know, 20 million a year when you've got no. another guy? Probably do you, to, do you yeah. think anyone, do you think any team in the league would pay Titus Howard that much money? You never know. I I, I mean, you see tackles I, getting overpaid. I mean, I don't think so, but I, you know, I think it's, I it's probably going to be 16, 18 million. He's probably going to be looking for around that number. I would be if I was his agent. So, um, I mean, I think they get. can get him at a reasonable number compared. I mean, it just depends what his priorities are. And I'm assuming it will be to make as much money as possible. Um, but we'll see. I think he can be had at a much more reasonable number than you want to talk about financial responsibility. The Laramie Tunsil extension, if that is a route the team decides to go down, when I do not think they will decide to go. I mean, Laramie Tunsil is absolutely a a money merchant in terms of he's hunted the biggest contract possible at every possible corner. He's reworked his contract to get more money um, immediately, several, several times. I mean, it's helped the team out too. Uh, but I, I think Tunsil is going to look to be the highest paid left tackle in the league whenever he, it's time for him. Oh, yeah. 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 If you bring him back, that's the only way to do it, I think. Or you'll yeah. try and get it somewhere else. Yeah. I Absolutely. Because why, why else would you stay in this situation? So, I mean, if you, if you had to talk about the two, I think Howard, you know, you've got a good player that you can have for reasonable good money. I think Tunsil, Tunsil certainly elite at times, but that is where you start to talk about, okay, is this, fiscally possible and I don't have those same concerns with Howard right now just because he hasn't put it on tape right now that he should be someone you have to break the bank to pay for I think that's what Nick Casario would ultimately say is hey you're a good player and this is in line with your market and that that would help a lot compared to the Tunsil argument no no absolutely yeah I think if you were to bet you'd potentially say Howard's here and Tunsil's gone but how you get rid of him and when and all that kind of stuff will play itself out. But both of them are going to prove themselves in tape of the rest of the season. But I think one guy who got hooked and he's played 100% of the snaps in every game at Jalen Petrie was taken out for everyone's favourite, Eric Murray. Um, I thought the broadcast for that first touchdown just before, or just right on halftime, I think it was 20 seconds to go, 25 seconds left in the clock when the Raiders scored uh, to Matt Collins. They called him out in the broadcast, but ultimately uh, for me when I looked at it, if Jalen doesn't go with a tight end, he's running into the end zone uncovered. So he had to he had to move to that side. 
of the play, and it, for me, it was it was Owens that should have that should have gone with Matt Collins once he entered his zone. I thought, you know, he'll get blamed for that probably in most people's minds. But as I watched it, I thought it was unfair. Um, if anything, it was on Jonathan Owens. But you've got to caveat with unless you're in a huddle, you don't know the rules and responsibilities, so it's tough to to say either way. But um, he missed some tackles, went high, probably two back to back performances. They probably wouldn't want to um, necessarily kind of well. Yeah, Jags less, so Chargers wasn't great, but some ups and downs with Petrie. Any concerns? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to worry about Jalen Petrie. I'm, I'll be transparent. I think this was a play that I missed when I was still coming back from the Carolina game. I caught the whole second half and mostly into the first, but I'm not going to speak to this particular one. But with Petrie, I think we knew it was going to be a bit of a transition year. He was asked to kind of play, uh, I won't call it weird, I'll say a very unique responsibility set at Baylor. And it's been a real transition to, hey, this team asked him to play a lot of traditional safety responsibilities, and that's something he didn't have to do in college. But then, like you said, other times they do bring him into the box, and that's more in his comfort zone. Um, tackling, I think coming from secondary in the Big 12 to being at the NFL is always going to be, he'll get there. Um, I'm really encouraged by Petrie. I think the flashes have to outshine the concerns right now. That's really, you do grade rookies on a curve. I don't know if you would disagree with that. And for me, I'm not going to start to worry about that stuff until we're consistently seeing it into year two. For now, I think Petrie um, should be playing the best ball I can, play with, do what the coaches are asking you, play instinctually and go get to the ball. And I think he's been that player. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you, yeah, you got it. You got to take the highs with the lows, and hopefully this, it's all it's all teaching learning moments right now. But who would you have said your player of the game was yesterday? I mean, I think you still have to say Davis Mills. Am I wrong? I think he put together his most encouraging. If you take out the pick six, it's not a question. I mean, he did the pick six. Of course, did happen, but. I think I want to say Davis just because in a game that we lost, I walked away feeling like I learned the most about this team potentially with how he played. Like for the first time all season, I walked away and I said, okay, maybe Bryce was not the move in the draft. Like maybe they could really justify going and getting another receiver, getting a elite defensive edge, defensive tackle prospect at the top. And I haven't felt that way after um, any of the other past games. I still think I would lean quarterback. But he strung together the types of drives, the type of plays that say, hey, that's an NFL quarterback and the kind that maybe encourages the front office to make a decision in his way. Yeah, it's one of those ones like you, you do want to see him do well, but you've seen where it's been when he's had a full preseason, when arguably he didn't necessarily earn to be gifted the chance. He, he certainly earned to be competing for the chance to be the starting quarterback here, but he's been given everything, handed to him. And that was the first time on the road that he's ever played well, I would I would argue. Um, in fact, yeah, it's probably his only passable NFL caliber performance on the road at this stage of his career. So when you look at it in the wider context, I think, well, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, he's, he's justified being there. I don't think he's necessarily justified to change any way you look at the team. Um, but I think a lot of people called this out and it's just blatantly obvious we touched on it so many times and we'll keep touching it probably to the end of the season. So... Apologies in advance for repeating this, everybody. But ultimately, if you can't defend the runner, you've not got a stout front seven. Um, the rest is kind of, you know, it doesn't really matter who your quarterback is if you if you can't get him on the field. And I suppose the I wrote an article on the website during the week there, and you know, one of the big points in it was this team's got a hell of a lot of needs, and this rebuild to this point 
has been probably slower than some people would like. It's certainly not been ahead of schedule. Um, but the the front seven glaring weaknesses, I think you're going to have you're not going to be able to fill all that in one off season. With even if you got really lucky in free agency, and you got really lucky in the draft, and guys were day one difference makers, um, it's going to be a long process. So it's 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 that adage of do you build the team or do you or just do, do you bring the quarterback in? But is there any guys in college, John, that you've seen that you would just I've not really watched a huge amount this year, so I'm, I'm leaning on you for this one. But is there any guys in college you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. Take them. That I would. I mean, do, let, let's be a little more specific. That I would absolutely take them, as in they're on the yeah, top five picks. Yeah, just, pick. yeah, okay. Yeah, top five. I'm just yeah. making sure that we're not because I'm not deep enough into the scouting process to really talk about the second round yet. Um, a lot of it's going to depend where Cleveland gets to pick, but right now I think it's going to be a, a four man race, maybe five, depending on how you feel about Will Levis of the three mm. quarterbacks. It's Bryce and C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Will Levis, and then the two defensive line prospects in the SEC. You've got Will Anderson, obviously a phenomenal edge player, and then Jalen Carter projects as the true rare uh, run run defense and pass rushing defensive tackle. Right now, it's just hard because obviously the run defense is atrocious right now in Houston, but one player isn't going to fix that, especially an edge whose primary, their greatest strength is attacking the passer. This is a problem that's going to require hitting on multiple picks in the first four rounds that you're going to need to pay a starting linebacker or two. And really you have to hope that Christian Harris and maybe, maybe Walla, I'm not going to count on it, but if you want to see a huge flip and improvement for how that run defense works, you're kind of betting on multiple guys. So that doesn't really change how I factor in the pick. Right now, Bryce Young is my number one quarterback, and he is probably who I would want to take if it was Houston. I like what Davis Mills has shown, but like you said, it's hard when this is in the evidence. I mean, in contrary to the other 16 games we've watched him play in which we've seen the baseline isn't super high, the ceiling is few and far between, and we've seen the four- trade Trade deadline this week um, reports or sort of lukewarm reports about Brandon Cooks but I don't see many teams giving up much for many of these guys um, any trade worthy candidates you reckon? I mean if someone wants to give you good value for Brandon Cooks and I mean what you would have asked for a year ago and you need to be compensated for the dead money that's going to be on the books and when that's the asking price I don't think you're going to get that you probably need a day two pick and a fourth maybe multiple day three picks. And I don't see any team ponying that up. So I don't see Brandon Cooks being moved. Pretty much anyone on a one-year contract, I would be open to moving. Obviously, Jerry Hughes feels like the guy with the most juice that if you send him to a contender and he may be playing 35% of the snaps could actually be a difference making a difference maker on a winning team. Um, but not a lot of obvious candidates because like we've talked about this whole podcast, just not a lot of, high-level, um, desirable talent on this football team right now. You know, if anyone wants Christian Kirksey, uh, I'll, I'll take the Mark Ingram deal. I'll take the 2025 seventh-round pick, but Sold. probably yeah, not getting I'll that. take it. Fuck it out. If somebody gives up that from then, geez. I mean, I, I, it's, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount to, to, to give up. I think it's uh, there is, you know, a couple of guys. You know, you think maybe a guy like Jonathan Grenard before he got injured was potential. Um, mm-hmm. you know, does some you know does some team take a you know give you a fifth for him? You probably take that because in his production at this stage, I think you know in terms of injury history, tweeted out before the game, he's continued to miss games. He's missed more games now. He's missed games in college, and now he's out. You know, is that potential necessarily there? And a guy you got to pay 
effectively this off season without going to the last year of his deal. Do you want to do that? So, um, you know, I think there's yeah. The, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we ship somebody for a sick, you know, like and kind of similar what we did with Charles Amenahu last year, um, something similar mm-hmm. to that. But uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if Cooks goes. But uh, there you go. Um, moving from Cooks, you can have all the theories if you want about him not playing well. Didn't want to do a podcast last week. I swore we'd take a week off. Final words before we get over here. Just, I didn't want to do a podcast on him because I don't think he deserved it. And we'll keep this brief. But final words on the exit of Jack Easterby. I think it is a turning point for how this franchise feels about itself, how the fans feel about this franchise, and how those around the league feel about the franchise. I think it's obviously not going to make a world of difference. Firing Jack Easterby does not. Um, turn you into contenders. It is not a floor raising thing, but I think it's something that maybe in the next 12 months, we look at it as, oh, that raised our ceiling because it changed what kind of free agents are willing to come here. We'll see what happens with this current front office, but maybe it changes what kind of coaching candidates are interviewing and willing to come here. Um, And ultimately it changes how people are willing to support and talk about this team. So I agree. I, don't, I mean, I gave it a lot of FaceTime last week because how could I not? And so many good stories to get people off the beat. But um, I think it's a good, a really good moment for this team. And we'll see. The negative downstream repercussions are going to be far outweighed by the positive ones. Yeah, I had a couple of reflections on it. I think one, I think it's, it doesn't help you right now in terms of football team. It doesn't help you defend the run next week against Philadelphia. So you know, any benefits are probably going to be longer term. And that's that's great. You know, we'll wait and we'll take them as they come. Um, as you said, the perception, um, you know, even listen to a guy like Mike Lombardi, I know people have got mixed opinions. I, mean, I really like listen to him. And, you know, he said that in the offseason, you know, you got to remember when he was talking about the coaching hire, when we almost hired McKevin, which he had a huge influence in. You know, we're not that far removed from that. Um, I still haven't seen anywhere what the kicker was, what the timing was. Uh, or why you know why it happened now and that's something hopefully we'll find out in the fullness of time but there is a little bit of me um, and this is just a working theory so I'll throw this out before we get out here John Casario seemed pretty cut up about it um, when he was in front of the Texas media Um, I definitely think there's an element of him not quite knowing the fullness of stuff that went on prior to him getting here. Obviously, Casario getting here has aligned with the the role that his name, you know, we'll not mention his name now because forever, forevermore, but it, it aligned with his responsibilities, reducing um, his, his impact, reducing. Uh, but I, I wonder if that was just purely a common sense thing and that, that was, should always happen if you had an adult professional running the ball club. Uh, but, you know, from a personal level, does it have any any impact on Casario and how he views this job? And, you know, it might just be something as simple as he doesn't renew his contract after year five um, or what have you. But, and, and he obviously, he's that, you know, they had to pay heavily to get him here. But uh, do you think it changes Casario's view of his job and the role and anything in any way? Is there a, that personal link? Is that strong enough that the heat that he claimed he was or it was in front of the media? Do you think that changes anything for Nick? I mean, I thought Casario was pretty stone-faced in that. To me, it just sounded very much wrong the mill. This is a business decision. I'm going to say nice things about this person because they left on good terms. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm misinterpreting Nick's press conference. He was on the Texans media a little differently, but I don't think that has any bearing on him taking this job. I don't think he took this job because of Jack Easterby. 
I don't think he's made, I think Easterby's had some say on how their process has been, but ultimately I think the decisions have been a Nick Casario's decisions. And I think whether he wants to be here or not will continue to be because of Nick and how he performs rather than the presence or lack thereof of Jack Easterby. So I don't, I don't think it has a big difference on the future. If anything, I think it makes Nick's job a lot easier because you can sell yourself as a grown-up franchise. And that's something that we, it did feel a little gimmicky that he was here as much as they tried to minimize his role, um, his presence in the building, you could tell moves when they had his handprint on them. And some of those things are starting to come out. And I just, I don't think, I don't see any world where this turns out to be a negative thing. Yeah. Oh no, no, I, I hope not. Um, you just, you, you know, he, he certainly, he certainly talked up uh, the guy, but he didn't have to, when he just first came in the mm-hmm. door, um, didn't have to call him a punching bag um, in a live interview. Um, he may have, he may have just said those things to, for another reason that we're not privy to. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hope it's just a turning point of, as you said, a sense of professionalism that Casario's brought and it just clears out the old. I mean, it's there's no points for the organisation as far as I'm concerned, should have happened two years ago. Um, but at least we're at that point now. It probably wouldn't have made any difference on the football uh, side of it because of the damage that's been done and that damage will continue to be unravelled and, and corrected uh, throughout this season, hopefully in terms of development and in terms of uh, next season as we you know start to actually get you know capital to reinvest in building this but um <coughs> final words John before we get here anything you're looking forward to this off season keeping an eye on that you want to you want to point out or are you just uh just getting getting through game by game just getting through game by game just like the rest of us I if you look too far ahead you are going to get um <laughs> I would just say fo- I focus on the I was going to say, I really like the expression, don't get lost in the trees. You got to pay attention to the forest. But with this team, I think it can catastrophize pretty quickly if you look at the whole season. So I want to take them game by game because, like I said earlier, the uh, the moral victories are probably more important than the actual ones. I want to see how players are developing. I want to see how they look on the field, how they're playing. If they're playing poorly, why are they playing poorly? And those that happens in the game and not in the macro level results. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it was another one down. Um, it felt very very similar. And I'm sure they will feel similar. Um, hearing through it. the next two weeks, going to be tough. Um, but hopefully the team can can get through there. But um, but thanks to John for his time. Thanks for everybody listening. If you tuned in uh, live, if anybody did, I'm not too sure. We're just going to give it a test out this week. Um, Why not? St- still trying to um, still trying to grow and uh, find new ways and and get stuff out to you. But uh, good to have a week off last week. Good to be back. Great to have John on. Um, please share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll be back again next week to review the trip to Tennessee. So thanks again this week. I'll speak to you then. Thanks for having me, man.